What's next? This is a question we're all having to ask and answer more frequently. I'm Jenny Blake, your host of the Pivot Podcast and author of Pivot, The Only Move That Matters is Your Next One. For show notes from this episode, visit pivotmethod.com slash podcast. If change is the only constant, then let's get better at it. Here we go. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Pivot Podcast. I am absolutely thrilled to have John Jantz here today. John wrote one of the books that I just checked on Amazon. I bought on my birthday, October 9th, 2010, six months before I left Google. It has been highly influential. That book is the referral engine. And I have, in fact, John, referred this book to pretty much every small business owner I know as the top three books that they need when getting started. So first, thank you for that. <laughs> oh, I, lo- I love hearing that and, uh, and way to go on referring books. Thank you. So a little bit about John. John has been called the world's most practical small business expert for consistently delivering real world proven small business marketing ideas and strategies. He's the creator of the Duct Tape Marketing System and Duct Tape Marketing Consulting Network that trains and licenses small business marketing consultants around the world. He is also a speaker and best-selling author of Duct Tape Marketing, Duct Tape Selling, The Commitment Engine, and the referral engine, which again has a spot close to my heart. So, John, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. That's quite what? a buildup, you know. The, the, <laughs> the, you do, I did. I should put a little side note in there that uh, I've been called um, the world's most practical small business marketing consultant, or whatever that title was, um, mainly because I said that's what I was. So you know, you just <laughs> got you just got to own it, and then people started calling. I like me that. that. That's one of the practical tips. <laughs> uh, well, I also think you're a secret futurist because for those of you listening, John has been blogging since 2003 and podcasting since 2005. That's some vision right there. Yeah, I mean, I can't claim to say that I thought, oh, this is the next thing. I'm going to get ahead of this. I really wanted to produce content. I wanted to share stuff. I wanted to, you know, get my, uh, I wanted to get access to other people who I could have on my show. I mean, so I had a lot of reasons why this just, this technology kind of looked good. And I think that that's a, uh, that's a bit of advice for a lot of people when you're trying to analyze some of these tools and the you know the new one that comes up every week. Uh, look at what your objectives, what you're trying to accomplish in general, and could this tool help you serve your customers better, find customers better, uh, create better experiences? And I think then you'll actually be you'll sort of naturally gravitate towards the tools that work for you, or you'll make them work for you. You know, a lot of times. Uh, you know, early on, people were looking at Twitter and you know different uh, social networks when they were coming on, and they uh, they were just trying to do what everybody else was doing, or or, or dismissing them because they saw whatever, what everybody else was doing. And I constantly said, look at some stuff you want to do, and if this tool can help you do it better, then go for it. I find that really interesting because you've had your consulting business, marketing and consulting, for twenty eight years, and there. Are plenty of people who have had businesses a really long time and would not have found blogging and podcasting. So how do you how do you even find them in the first place and then discern at this point in the social media game what tools to actually double down on and which ones to skip? Yeah, I, I suppose um, if I have an entrepreneurial superpower, it's curiosity. I think I just really love looking at the new stuff. And again, with the right lens, not like, okay, this is new. This is cool. Everybody's talking about Snapchat, so I need to be on it. But but really looking at tools that pop up 
because you're paying attention, you know, because you have to stay one step ahead of your clients <laughs> because they're going to ask you about these tools. Uh, so that's that's sort of the practical reason for you know staying engaged. But then just really looking at them as you know how you can use them to do something you are either already doing better or enhance you know some sort of experience. So I think that's that, that sort of natural curiosity really helps me. Part of the reason that I was so drawn to the referral engine and have been since is that it also takes business building almost back to the beginning, which is that you can build a business without any social media. That's not what you're suggesting. But what you do do is highlight the importance of systematizing the process of referrals. And I love it because it emphasizes this this age-old form of marketing that is so important. And and as you say in the book, people often don't realize that they can and should have systems around it. Well, most of the businesses that I've worked with uh, over the last, you know, t- going on three decades now, got at least a, a particularly initially, a, a majority of their business by word of mouth or by referral, whether uh, they tried to make that happen or not. And I always found that kind of a big disconnect. You know, you talk to somebody and they'd say, well, 75% of our business comes by way of referral because we do great work. And then I would follow up and say, well, gosh, what do you do to, to amplify that then? Oh, well, nothing. We just, you know, we, we just accidentally get business that way. Um, and so that was really the whole premise behind writing that book. And, and it's funny, I, um, if you look on Amazon, you know, fortunately it has been reviewed uh, very lovingly by a, a lot of people, but the, there are a few negative reviews uh, on there, uh, probably more than any book I've written, actually. Um, in fact, for sure, because, you know, us authors obsess over those. Um, but but uh, <laughs> um, and, and the negative part was, well, this book isn't about referrals because I spend about the whole first half of the book telling you that you have to be more referable if you're going to get referrals. And that sort of turned people off who wanted like the magic formula for instantly tricking people into referring them. Oh, my goodness. One star reviews. Just got to love them. That's crazy. I bet. Did, did you also get one star reviews from the people who said, this is poor form. It's poor taste to ask for referrals. That kind of hesitation? Well, no. I mean, I certainly hear that. Um, I, you know, the, the, the pushback you get, particularly in, say, like professional services industries, attorneys and financial planners and whatnot, um, you know, sometimes it's, well, we just if we just do good work, you know, people will tell people about us. Um, and I think that um, the the real, I, I mean, that's certainly that's step number one, <laughs> because I uh, assure you that if you don't do good work, um, uh, you're going to get uh, the opposite of referrals. But um, I, I do think that not just simply begging for them or asking for them, but making them part of the process and making them part of the uh, deliverable and making them part of the results that you get for your clients and with your clients is how you um, is is how you kind of stimulate systematically uh, referrals and also just the the pure fact of the matter is that everybody's really busy so uh, part of the systematic approach to generating referrals is to make it just very easy for them to talk about you in the way that they want to talk about you. You say in the book. It's not enough to have a good solution. Buzzed about businesses have a good solution draped in a total experience that excites, delights, or surprises the customer and motivates them to voluntarily talk about their experience. That concept of delight seems like such an important one for generating referrals. Yeah, I mean, when's the last time you uh, raved to your fans over lunch uh, about a perfectly acceptable experience that you had? <laughs> right. You know, and, and so, you know, one of the time, a lot of times I've worked with businesses where we just add one step 
after the sales process, after somebody says yes, we say we, we had one step to do something they didn't expect to surprise them. Um, I bought a pair of shoes, uh, running shoes from an online store, a uh, small kind of independent uh, guy uh, the other day. And uh, in the box, I got a pair of socks and some power bars and you know different Whoa. things, which are probably from suppliers of his who gave them to him uh, to, to, to use for this. And you know here we are talking about it. And, and it's that kind of thing where you do something that was unexpected that kind of forces people to talk about you in a really positive way. You know, that's one of the easiest ways to start generating referrals. You even give examples. It can be after the customer experience as well. Handwritten thank you notes. People have sent business cards or sent chocolates. I mean, you even say, actually, sometimes you don't have to give a monetary gift. It might just be asking for referrals or thanking people publicly. Yeah, that, that's actually <laughs> that's actually with social media one of the easiest things that you can do is to go publicly and just talk about uh, you know other businesses you love and or encouraging other people to you know to do something of that nature. I think that it's very it's very easy to spread kind of word of mouth appreciation uh, that that can uh, very easily turn into referrals. I mean, I think that you know, we're all all the buyers, all of us buyers now are out there turning to our social networks and turning to friends and uh, turning to uh, certainly Google to find the products and services that we want to buy, you know, before we ever then kind of turn to that company and start asking for more information. And so Making it very easy for people to uh, to talk about you, to share you, to uh, express kind of their appreciation is how you're going to pick up that that whole audience that that you have no ability really to market directly to anymore. And I found in my business too, so much of it when it is a referred client, they're kind of the best clients. They've come from someone I've already known and loved working with, and they there's already more inherent trust built when they come through a referral than when they come in cold. Yeah, I think that's true of, of even your network and not necessarily just a client. I mean, obviously, a client knows your brilliance, can probably speak to here's what they do that's different, here's why you should expect to pay a premium. Maybe they're, they're, they're they have similar belief systems. I mean, so that's uh, that. You know all the things you kind of mentioned. I think is really um, a very important factor of why referrals are so great. But I think even as you go out there, say to strategic partners and start uh, start educating them on you know who makes an ideal client for you, you know how to talk about what you do that's different. Uh, that 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 education process is still very important. I mean, we've all gotten referrals that said, oh. I heard you're a marketing consultant. Come out and market consult me, um, and, and you know, without any real, real appreciation for why our approach is different, what our point of view is, how we work, and so you really do want to spend a great deal of time, you know, educating your referral sources on those kinds of things as well, uh, because that's how you get the perfect referrals. Mm. So going back to systems, you shared the stat in the book that. Even though over 60% of the businesses you surveyed said that, that that over half their business comes from referrals, 80% said they had no systems to capture that. What are some of the referral systems that you've seen work best in addition to educating 
peers and potential customers? Well, well, believe it or not, my favorite, I mean, there are all kinds of things depending upon the industry that you're in and how you interact with your clients. But, but my absolute favorite kind of mindset change is that you start talking about referrals in the lead conversion or sales process. So in other words, start introducing the fact that, um, hey, Jenny, you know, we, we agreed to work together for, uh, you know, on this project. Uh, here's what we're going to do. You know, here's what you're going to do. Uh, at the end of 90 days, we're going to come back and make sure that you got the result that we promised. And then uh, we're also going to ask you to maybe share uh, three other people that you think uh, could use this amazing result. Um, and, and that's done kind of as you're selling. And, and, you know, obviously I was just winging it there. You can word it any way that, that you're comfortable uh, wording it. But the beauty of that is you're actually making a great promise. We know you're going to be so thrilled <laughs> at the end of this engagement that you're going to want to tell your friends about it, you know, and we're going to come back and make sure you're thrilled. Is that okay with you? All of a sudden you're getting agreement for, you know, that's part of the deal that you, you're agreeing, the client's agreeing to giving you referrals. And so you, you, you plant the seed for that very, very early on. And I tell you, I have uh, organizations whose uh, sales forces have embraced that idea. And obviously, you've got to have the systems. You've got to make sure they're thrilled. You've got to have the, the results review in place. You've got to have the way to collect those referrals and start following up on them and educating them. But uh, organizations that just do that simple thing, in some cases, are, are doubling and tripling the amount of referrals that they're getting. Wow. How do you deal with There's a small part of me that has resistance. Like, And I'm sure you get this from your clients and readers, too, where it's like, oh, but I haven't even delivered the service yet. Should I really be putting out this thing kind of about me and my business up front? What do you um, say to that? What I say to that is, Jenny, do you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that uh, what you do works? Yes. And, and do you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that the person that you're working with life is going to be improved by a result of working with you? Yes. Then why wouldn't you want to give them the opportunity to help their friends, neighbors, and colleagues in the same okay. way? Okay. That's true. Now get out on the floor and give me 10, ten push-ups. <laughs> yes, I'm on it. I'll do it right after we hang up. Uh, okay, I really, all right, yes. I think that's really great. And I think that's one of the resistance pieces for someone like me to get over when, when it comes to systematizing referrals. That, well, it's not, it's not only that. I'm, I'm going to yeah. push you a little bit here. Part of that is self-doubt. Um, do you, I mean, do you really believe <laughs> that what you're doing I really is do. worth what somebody's paying? Right. I but, really but, do, but it's asking up front before I've delivered it to them that right. I would hesitate a little bit. But, but you're not asking them. You're giving them an opportunity. You're right. giving them an opportunity to improve the lives <laughs> of yes. their friends, neighbors, and colleagues. And, and if you change your mindset to that, you're not asking for anything. You are doing them a favor. I like that. One thing you talk about in the book is the core talkable difference, which I find a really interesting way of saying you've got to be unique, unique enough and your service unique enough that they want and know how to talk about it. Yeah, and, and, and certainly what you what you do has to be remarkable. It does have to deliver results. But in a lot of ways, it also has to be different than uh, the way in which everybody else who do, says they do what you do uh, talks about their business. And in some cases, those exist. I mean, they, you know, you ask your clients, uh, well, what does, you know, Jenny really do that's different? And you'll probably hear some things that maybe you didn't even realize or that, that you don't appreciate that, that people, you know, your clients, the people that pay you that, love, you know, that refer you uh, really appreciate. And a lot of times it's very small things. 
And so one of the challenges is to take some of those really small things and then turn them into a simple core point of difference that you can deliver in, you know, eight or 10 words or less. Um, and that's, you know, that takes some exercise, that takes some creative thinking, but more than anything else, it takes asking your existing clients and your existing referral sources what it is uh, you do that nobody else does. And and that, uh, again, is a practice uh, from, from building your marketing strategy in general that you should be doing on an ongoing basis. And it, and it can't be, oh, well, you provide better service because, you know, everybody can claim that. And so, you know, you've got to push a little bit. What does better service look like to you? Tell me a story about a time when we provided better service. And you're going to then start hearing some of the themes and actual phrases uh, that that probably should be part of your core talkable difference. Yes, I love the idea of just asking customers and clients directly. And that you're right, we would probably be often surprised by half of what comes up in terms of how specific it is. Well, I'll give you an example. We, we had an architect that we worked with years ago, and, we, and of course, they felt their difference was they were better than everybody else. And uh, uh, we started talking to their clients who were um, commercial uh, contractors. And the first couple of people we talked to said, well, yeah, they're, you know, they design nice buildings. They've got those letters by their name, so we expect that to happen. But what we really like is they help us get paid faster. And, you know, after, again, after hearing that the second time, I was like, I got, I got to figure out what does that mean? Um, so I went back to the, the architect and, and turned out that they had a couple of their uh, architects were on city zoning boards. One of them was actually a suburban city councilman. And so they really knew all the ins and outs of where the red tape was going to be, what cities you know were making priorities. And so consequently, they could get their plans approved faster than anybody else. And so you know the contractor got paid faster because the job could start. Um, and so we actually took that uh, that that actual language and made that a big part of their core message, and it significantly changed uh, their their position in the market because uh, it spoke to what was one of the greatest challenges for the their customer. Um, but it demonstrated how they they you know they were there not I mean that that was a core point of difference. There wasn't any other architect talking about we help you get paid faster, um, and and even though they were all theoretically doing the same work. Fascinating. One of the things you say is that. The place that referral systems fail most often is in the collection phase. When is the best time to ask for referrals? Well, I think there are a lot of great, uh, I think I refer to them as, and, and forgive me because you know I did write that book yes, six, seven many, years ago. Many years ago. <laughs> but uh, there are many moments of truth. Uh, and I think there are some very, you know, I already talked about, you should start planting the seed in the lead conversion process. You should have a very set time in which you're going to go back and measure results. Did did we get you the results uh, that you were after? And that's a step right there that a lot of people don't do, um, maybe because they are on to the next thing or maybe because they're afraid they, <laughs> they didn't actually deliver. But going back and, and making that part of your process that you're going to, you're going to measure you know, what success looked like, um, those are obviously two you know, very built into the system points at which you should definitely be asking for referrals. But there are also the time when you get the unsolicited, lovely, glowing thank you card or that you get the review on, uh, on Yelp or on Google Plus or uh, somebody you know, across, the, across the counter says, boy, I just, I just love what you guys do. I tell all my friends, 
blah 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 that that you that that you actually you know those moments of truth should be sort of built in times when you know you reach for some sort of a referral form or a card or a web page that you're going to send people to 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 actually um, kind of strategize about how they might actually uh, become a, a formal participant in your referral process. Now, I, I also believe that there you know you need to build like champion communities. So all the people that are referring you, you should be doing something for them so that they can actually uh, bring their networks and their communities into that <laughs> that referral community. But uh, there are so many opportunities and places that, that, that you could ask for. You should be asking for uh, referrals just on a day-to-day basis. I also like how you emphasize give and you shall receive. That part of this is also making, ha- making habit out of giving referrals. Yeah, I, I just... You know that could be the cosmic universe scorekeeping <laughs> yes. part of this uh, that, that's coming into play for me. But I just think that 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 if people, I, I mean, just from a practical standpoint, if somebody goes, somebody's going out of their way to refer me, uh, you know, after a, after a while, I'm going to go, huh. I should be paying attention to how I could help them. Now, that's not the reason to do it. Again, as I said, I think the universe keeps great score anyway. Um, but I, I just think that that you know, in a lot of ways. You make yourself more valuable to your clients if you can, if they can come to you and and constantly be saying, "Do you know anybody who does X?" And you've kind of got your team of people that you always like to refer. Uh, you you not only are probably creating some potential reciprocal opportunities, you are serving your client better. That was a, that was a hidden thing that for years I didn't realize was in my kind of superpower arsenal, but I started to realize that among my career coaching clients and solopreneur clients, at the end, I, w- I could always refer them as like whatever their problem was, I had a contact, whether right. they needed an assistant, an intern, a template, a book, I had something that I was giving to them, often a quite a long list, I would give homeworks. And, and I never I never thought that that was a strength until someone said it. And, yeah. you know, oh, making connections. And I think sometimes we don't realize these areas that we have that that giving referrals is such a win for everybody, including our peers, who, like you yeah. said, can reciprocate when it fits. Yeah, and some people are just wired that way. I mean, you you Pamela didn't know you Slim were doing it. Yeah, is like exactly. The Uber like, connector. That right. we both so know. so a lot of people are just <laughs> wired that way. But you know, I spend an entire chapter just on on kind of how to set that up, how to think that way, how to formalize uh, the process, even because uh, it's not. It's not natural uh, to everyone, and and but it can be a super powerful part of your business. Well, I love you have the habit of fives. I love your. We're going to talk about your systems in a moment, but you're also a master of habits and saying make a habit out of giving referrals, asking for referrals, picking a marketing theme of the month, making a marketing calendar. Like you really encourage people to create habits out of this, not just one and done. Yeah, and, and I think again that kind of goes to my personality too. If I if I don't I get a, I get three times more done than a lot of people do <laughs> because I am such a creature of routine and habit, and I can in five minutes switch gears and do you know fifty minutes worth of work. But if the the downside to that is if I get knocked off my game at all, if like I'm traveling or <laughs> some you know something gets me off, you know then I'm a little bit of a mess. But so but, when, similar. Yeah. <laughs> but when I'm in my routine and I you know have everything set up and all the tools available and I've got the you know everything connected to my browser the way that that allows me to be really productive, that that's to me is is the you know the benefit of doing that. I'm not 
I, I know exactly what I'm going to get done from nine to 10 and I know what I'm going to do on, on Friday at two o'clock. And so it, it takes a lot of the, well, first off, it turns off a lot of the shiny objects. Um, and, but it also takes a little bit of the decision fatigue away too, of trying to figure out what I'm going to do today. Yes. I think a huge part of how you get the work done of three people are your systems. And I know that Michael Gerber, who wrote E-Myth Revisited, is a, you know, probably now peer, collaborator, possibly a mentor at one point of yours. He wrote the foreword to your duct tape marketing book. And in E-Myth Revisited, he talks about systems. But you're the person I know who has put so many systems and scale in your business to really take yourself from what Seth Godin would say, like the freelancer model to the entrepreneur model. I would love to hear first, just tell me how your brain thinks in systems and scaling yourself. And then maybe we'll get into some specific ones. Yeah, I, I think, well, a couple points there. First off, um, uh, Michael Gerber is a friend and, uh, and certainly a mentor. And the idea, uh, he was certainly the first one to planted the seed to me that, and I think a lot of people had that reaction when they read his book. It was kind of slapped the forehead. Of course, that's what's missing. You know, systems in a small business. You know, brilliant. <laughs> but uh, um, so, so he certainly was the. In fact, he was uh, that. That book was uh, definitely the genesis of the idea for duct tape marketing, uh, because uh, as I started going out there and working with small businesses, it, it became clear to me that uh, certainly they needed systems, but marketing was the system that, or the thing that they they had the most trouble thinking even systematically about it was like everything else was a system but marketing was a strange sort of uh, genie in a bottle kind of thing um, and so th that was really what led me to kind of say well that's what the world needs is the systematic approach to marketing and so I did it I created it in a lot of ways because it was very difficult for me to work with small businesses in the traditional kind of marketing consulting fashion uh, because they didn't have the same budgets and and same resources and same attention spans and things of that nature. So I created duct tape marketing. So the, the and in fact, that was the genesis of the name was that I, that was the name of the system. Um, so I could walk in and say, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what you're going to do. Here are the results we hope we can get. And by the way, here's what it costs. Uh, because I, that to me was the way to work with uh, small businesses in a profitable way. And, and turns out um, in doing so, in trying to solve my greatest frustration, I ended up addressing what I think is one of the greatest frustrations with a lot of small business owners. It's, it's actually very difficult to buy marketing services in a comprehensive, systematic way. There are a lot of people selling SEO and social media and content writing and web design, but uh, very few people that are saying, hey, here's, here's the strategy, uh, here is the system for you know, implementing that strategy, and here are all the tactics now that, that go underneath that. Um, and so that to me, you know, is why duct tape marketing or the idea, the point of view of duct tape marketing, that marketing as a system has been so popular. So I think, I don't even think I've started to address your question yet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's so much here. How did you decide when to take it from you as the consultant to scaling to this vast network of hundreds of duct tape marketing consultants? And, and how'd you make that switch? Well, I, I, I made that switch sort of transitionally because I instantly, I mean, I, when I went to this approach, I maxed out my capacity instantly because it was so appealing <laughs> to a lot of small business owners. So, so at one point, you know, the, the seed was sort of planted for how can I do more? How can I, uh, how can I help more small businesses get this idea? Um, and, and so that's actually why I, I created the course and I started doing much more writing uh, online because I wanted to really expand beyond what I could do with my 60 hours a week. 
Um, and, uh, and in doing so, uh, not only was I able to reach uh, more small business owners, but I started getting uh, actually inquiries from independent marketing consultants around the world saying, hey, we, we want to license this. We want to be a part of this. And so it was kind of one of those things that, you know, because there was demand, <laughs> I, I created it with, uh, with uh, kind of that first group of uh, consultants. And uh, it has uh, fortunately expanded to uh, we're in 14 countries now. Wow. That's a really big systems scaling that you had to do to get it from your head to all these consultants. Yeah, and I... And your I, strategy? That's you know, what it, my strategy always is, is, put it out there and see if nobody dies. Ah. Um. <laughs> yeah. Great, good. That's a good one. I would now, imagine you also are someone who starts a little scrappy and refines it over time. Would you say that's no, true? No question. My philosophy has always been build it with your customers. And yeah. so um, so I put out what I thought was was you know the idea and you know quickly learned and and have in fits and starts quite frankly learned you know what the network needed and what an independent marketing consultant needed and so it's it's grown exponentially from uh, where we started in terms of the asset we've built and what we offer and and the value that people get and what's really cool about uh, this too is is yes I built you know the initial system, and it has my brand on it. But it's certainly got the fingerprints of many of the uh, professional you know, marketing consultants now who have contributed to it. But it also now has become something where the the network is actually. I never want to say more important than me, but I'm going mm-hmm. to. Um, <laughs> you know, the the people are attracted to the tools and the brand and to what I represent, but they stay because of the people and the network and the leverage that they're able to gain uh, now. So there, it, it's really, we've really kind of got to this point where it's it's changed. The dynamic has actually changed in a way because of the people that are involved. That's an interesting theme in a lot of your books that community is actually yeah really valuable and really important. And it's something people sometimes forget. Uh, What about I mean, I know you're now moving into software. So this is now scaling, you already have this licensed, and this consultant network for duct tape marketing. And I know you're now moving into software to me, that's that's like taking it yet another level in terms of scale and impact. So how did you make that decision? Well, it was probably needs based. I mean, it, it again, you know, we gave the marketing consultants a tool set and a methodology and a point of view. But in the end, their customers wanted you know everything done for them. <laughs> they you know they wanted more and more, and and uh, the, you know to me the way to manage that was to build a a task flow engine uh, that you refer to as software as um, a, an online tool that allows us to kind of say here's all the things we're going to do, but then it also has uh, you know all the action steps are tracked as tasks, and uh, all the uh, uh, the data is fed into the software, so all their analytics and their social media and their keyword. Uh, uh, data is all fed into this and tracked on an ongoing basis, so it becomes kind of a dashboard for the work that we're doing, but also a dashboard for the results that the client is receiving. And um, it just it, it simplified the consultant's life because of the 330 steps that they might uh, engage uh, in over a course of a six-month period, they can now delegate 
you know, 273 of those to a, a virtual assistant who's been trained to just pull levers and, and you know, operate the software. So it's made their life easier, uh, but it's also uh, really made a great consistent deliverable for their clients. One of my guiding mantras in life is an agile development quote that every time you repeat a task, take one step toward automating it. Yeah. And it reminded me when you said about simplifying that if, if your consultants were repeating this over and over, you've now simplified and systematized it. Yeah. And, and at the theme, certainly when consultants join us or decide to join us, a lot of times is hey, you'd already created this. I didn't want to recreate the wheel. I mean, so so we have people that actually launch their business from scratch. They've come out of corporate or they've just decided I want to be a marketing consultant. And they're working with two clients, uh, confidently knowing that they've got all the deliverables behind them You know, in, in a matter of 30 days. And uh, obviously, we have people that come in with small digital agencies. They've been doing this for years. They've got clients already. Uh, but it, it, it's, And they see the value in it as well. Um, but it, uh, it's certainly for that person that wants to launch their business quickly. I mean, we've done a great deal for them. What do you think is the biggest blind spot or bottleneck? that freelancers experience when trying to scale beyond their time? Like you said, you hit, you got maxed out at your 60 hours. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think we've been dancing all around it. I mean, is they're, they're still doing a lot of work that is that they shouldn't be doing. Um, and, and I think that, you know, one of the things that, you know, once I decided that I needed to create a system so that first off, you know, the first iteration was so that I could be much more efficient and much more profitable. Uh, but after I had passed that uh, to the point where I could now uh, take that and, and start uh, giving it to other people or teaching other people how to do it, uh, then I had to start. Uh, that, that, that was a whole nother set of systems that we had to build <laughs> uh, because, again, it, it would have just been shifting my 60 hours a week to something else. Um, and I think that, you know, constantly freelancers, solopreneurs have to, they have to be constantly analyzing what their highest payoff work is and spending more time doing that and less time doing the work that uh, they could probably hire somebody else to do um, better than them, <laughs> cheaper than them, uh, but, but primarily because of what it takes away in terms of uh, the ability to focus on uh, their high payoff work. Um, I read it quote somewhere and I can't really remember I don't remember where it was but uh, the the quote was that small business owners uh, look at everything that needs to be done and try to figure out how to get it done and uh, entrepreneurs look at everything that needs to get done and figure out how to get somebody else to do it interesting (laughs) and I think that's an important distinction very much so my friend Adam's mantra is innovate and delegate his job is to come up with the ideas and then delegate to someone on his team and, I, and I a lot of that takes, you know, one of my systems um, that I, you know, stole from somebody else. I didn't make this up, but I mean, I take two days a week and I don't have any meetings. Um, that they're, we call them my focus days, and you know, people don't try to get on my calendar. Or, you know, internal people don't try to get on my calendar, and I don't schedule any outside meetings because I have, you know, in a ninety-day window, I have a handful of priorities, and those focus days are are spent on those and. Um, we, you know, are able to identify you know, what the highest payoff use of my time is, and uh, and so we structure those days around that. So, I mean, that that's an important system if you're ever going to get out of doing, you know, head down doing the work. How do you focus? <laughs> how do you focus? How do you structure your focus days within the day? Well, so again, um, we we have a 90 day planning cycle that we identify 
no more than two or three priorities. Now, those two or three priorities always spin off about six projects. But um, so in those focus days, uh, I try very desperately to have uh, you know 90% of the time I spend in those focus days focused on uh, one of those um, projects that is uh, addressing a priority. Okay. So, so you know, and it can be, uh, it, it can be creating, you know, and again, we know, I like, in my particular business, me creating product, uh, me creating a presentation, you know, for uh, a big event, um, me working with a strategic partner, a new strategic relationship, you know, those are high payoff uh, activities. Me writing a, you know, sales copy for a, you know, a, a sales page for a new product launch. I mean, those are very high payoff activities that in some cases take kind of that two or three hour uninterrupted time and, and ramp up time. And so, you know, that's kind of how we structure my days. Mm, I love that. And then in the three days that aren't focus days, do you have what systems or routines do you have that kind of repeat every week, if any? Sure. So I do um, I do my podcast interviews um, either on Monday afternoons or Wednesday afternoons. I do um, training on Mondays uh, for the consultant network. I do so. So Mondays and Wednesdays are are really Mondays. A lot of times are almost wall to wall um, with scheduled. Uh, activity. I have uh, you know weekly meeting uh, with staff. All you know, all hands meeting with staff on Mondays. I, you know, as I said, do record a lot of webinars or uh, podcasts on Mondays. I do training with consultants. Um, Wednesdays tend to be client focused, so I do still actually work with um, three to four uh, marketing consulting clients uh, that are generally. Uh, larger than kind of our our standard profile, so I I kind of just I, I really just do strategic coaching with them, um, and and so typically I'll do a lot of that on Wednesdays, um, Tuesdays and Thursdays are my focus days, and Friday tends to end up being kind of clean up um, during the summers on Fridays I usually take off by noon. Nice. Okay, what one thing that I'm curious about? I think some people want to have systems. They want to delegate more, but when it comes to actually doing it, they get stuck. And this is almost hard to ask, but I'm wondering if you can unpack for me the moment that you notice an inefficiency. How do you, what is your thought process to then create more efficiency or a system around it? Well, there are a couple things that I do constantly, and, and I, I, I'm, I came to these things, right? I didn't wake up one day and say, this is how I'm going to do it. I mean, it evolves over, over time. But one of the things that I, I, I use a paper analog uh, to-do list. Me too. Um, awesome. <laughs> I, have, uh, I have these big, giant notebooks that I have an entire shelf full of that are kind of fun to pull out every now and then and go, I wonder what I was thinking back then. But um, they're not journals. I mean, they literally are my to-do list. And I am constantly looking at those and and asking myself, could somebody else do that? Should somebody else do that, that I've written on my to-do list? Because it's actually a little tough for me because I am an implementer. I mean, I'm, I'm theoretically an entrepreneur visionary, but I like doing stuff. I, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm a bit of an introvert actually. I, I, there's nothing, I, I have no problem spending all day like hacking code in, in WordPress, yes. you know? <laughs> totally. and, which, totally. you know, is, and there are a lot of people that way. Um, and obviously that's not a high payoff activity. Um, and so, you know, I'm constantly looking and reviewing at my to-do list and, and, you know, nine times out of 10, 
if I have 10 items on there, seven of them are probably something that somebody else could do. Um, now, the challenge I think that people have with delegating is that it's one of those things where you have to take two steps back yes. to, to kind of gain one step forward, and that's the way it can feel. It, it, there are many, many things that your listeners, you, I, uh, can do much faster than it would take to actually document it or, or worse yet, try to train somebody else to do it. <laughs> but, and that, I think, is the challenge. It's like, oh, this is something that takes me 10 minutes, but it would take me an hour to figure out how to document it and to train somebody. But you'll never get those 10 minutes back unless you invest the hour, and, and that's, that's always the rub. It's like, I don't have the hour. I got the 10 minutes. And so, so you know, what, one of the things that is probably a, a great starting point is because because the other thing, uh, and I know I'm rambling here, um, but you did ask me like a really yeah, big, no, really big question. Great, I'm loving this. Uh, one of the challenges also is that when people decide I'm going to systemize, you know, they immediately write down a list of 475 systems they need to create, um, and that in itself is so frightening <laughs> that they never revisit the topic again. Um, and I, so I think that um, creating systems has to be—it's not an event; it's a, it's a habit, and yes. so. It's okay to have that list, but then what you need to do is say, okay, this month I'm going to pick out five that are a high priority. So if there's something that can make you more money, if there's something that can free your time up so that you could make money, if there's something you hate doing and so it's sucking mental energy, create you know, make, make your list of five based on some of those kinds of ideas. Um, and then sit down and do it. And that's another thing that I do quite often is is you know, as I'm doing it. Um, I just document the steps. It's like, oh, okay, I did this and I did this. Because it's it's difficult a lot of times, especially if there's something you've been doing for a while. It's actually hard to explain to a virtual assistant or something how right. to do it without actually doing it. You know, it's one of those things where you're unconsciously competent <laughs> at something. Right? Yeah. You don't even know the steps you're doing anymore. So uh, that's something that I will do, you know, often. And and we we just use Google Docs uh, to do it. And, and we just, we document everything. So we have kind of the master list of, of systems. And then we're constantly documenting things uh, on the fly. So if, if I, you know, if we create a new process that has to be done by me, then especially if it's just, it's not terribly creative. It's just, I'm the only one who knows how to do it. I mean, the very first thing we will do is I'll do it one time, document it, and and then I'll train somebody uh, who will do it for the next 11 times. Great. This is such great advice. I'll even, sometimes I will assign something and then say, and then please add it to the manager manual, which means do the yeah. task and document it while you yeah. do it. Yeah, and that, I, and that that's certainly. I mean, if you're working with that, that's another mistake a lot of people make is they find somebody who's terribly efficient at doing all their bookkeeping, and they're like, "Awesome! I never have to think about that again." And then that person leaves, and it's like, "Oh crap!" Right, <laughs> you know, right. Now I have no idea what they've been doing. So make sure that that if you are working with folks, um, have them document their process so that it becomes your process. It's so important what you said, too, that systems, one, they're a mindset, just asking the question, what can I systematize or where am I getting bottlenecked or stuck? And then two, making a habit out of it that by even even tools like Zapier and if this, then that are like a dream. I drool over these because you can systematize so many little tasks. But probably if someone were to try and learn those tools and set them up 
all in one day, that would be really overwhelming. But now in my business all the time, I'm like, I wonder if I could create a zap for that so that when someone joins my newsletter, then there's a task added. Or here's an example. When someone schedules a podcast interview in my Calendly, then a zap gets automatically makes a task in Asana, which we're using for project management. So it's almost like we're, we're like rich with systems tools now <laughs> in our new tech environment. And it's just a matter of using them. Yep. Uh, no question. This is so helpful. I love it. Uh, what, what three books would you recommend for small business owners that are not yours? Because obviously they should be reading your entire library. Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> I should be more prepared for that question because you know, people ask that question all the way, all the time. So I'll give you one. Uh, I'm going to give you a couple obscure ones that you probably don't get very much. Um, a woman named Sam Horn in the D.C. area. Um, I love her book called Pop. And it really uh, – it, it's – it's like what we talked about, that standing out, how to create your message, you know, how to differentiate. It's, it's a whole book just based on that. Um, and, and and I really cool. like her, her approach. Um, the – Second one I would give you is, I told you I was going to give you Obscure. Yeah, I like Obscure. I hadn't heard about Pop. I'm Uh, excited to check that out. One of the things that um, is very important to me in terms of innovating and staying curious is that I will find books that are unrelated to marketing, unrelated to not even business books, but I'll read them with the lens of marketing and building uh, my business. So in other words, um, there's an ar- a book that's a, a, essentially a, an architecture book that was written in the 60s called The Timeless Way of Building. Uh, it was written by a, an architect by the name of Christopher Alexander. And it is a an entire book. It, it really helps that he is a beautiful, beautiful writer. It's not dry theory, you know, academic at all. It's beautiful. Um, and he talks all about how to design with community in mind. And I tell you, the I don't even know where I came across this book, but I started reading it, and all I could think about was the parallels to what he was talking about and the metaphors of what he was talking about, how it related to building community in a business. And it's a lot of times um, I seek out books. I have a couple. I have a book that uh, that breaks down um, calculus, um, and you know, which is for a lot of people, you know, couldn't, couldn't think of anything drier, (laughs) but but I find such amazing ideas uh, in there for building my own business that, uh, that, that then become kind of fresh and original because they're coming from other, other sciences and and industries. Um, So I gave you two. And then my third one that, and I'll, I'll just throw this out because I'm not necessarily recommending it as much as, uh, it, it, it informed probably my thinking on business as much as any book. And it's a book from the 50s, uh, The Practice of Management by Peter Drucker. Mm. And if you can get by the, you know, the 50s sexist language <laughs> of, about, you know, all businessmen, um, it, it's a great read. You also recently did a podcast on Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. And he wrote the hero with a thousand faces. And I thought it was so interesting how you read that book through this lens that on your podcast, you explained it as how can we see the customer as a hero through the journey of our business? What an interesting spin on that. I had never heard it applied in that way. Of course, we could see our customers as the hero on their own journey. But how does that apply to our business and us as their mentor or guide that comes in and helps them through. And so, yeah, I really love, thank you for putting out these great book suggestions. Yes, Obi-Wan. 
<laughs> Amazing. No, you are Obi-Wan. <laughs> oh, that's right. I always forget that part. <laughs> John, this has been so wonderful. Thank you so much. Where can people find you if they want to keep in touch? Pretty much the easiest place is to just go to ducttapemarketing.com. That's D-U-C-T-T-A-P-E marketing.com. Lots of free resources as well as information on the Duct Tape Marketing System and the Duct Tape Marketing Consultant Network. Wonderful. John, I bow to you. Thank you for helping me build my business all these years. <laughs> and uh, big thanks to everyone for listening. All right, that wraps up this episode of the Pivot Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. And Pivot is officially out. So grab your copy wherever books are sold. Even better, tell a friend and leave a review on Amazon. Reviews help other readers decide whether to purchase a copy, and it helps build a lot of momentum in these early days of the launch. Thank you all so much in advance. I couldn't do this without you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Pivot Podcast. Make sure you don't miss an episode or my insider tips and templates by signing up for Pivotlist, a curated twice-monthly newsletter where I share the inside scoop on what I'm reading, watching, listening to, and the latest tools I'm geeking out on. Sign up at pivotmethod.com slash pivotlist. Get show notes from this episode at pivotmethod.com slash podcast. And connect with me on Twitter at Jenny underscore Blake. Remember, build first, then your courage will follow. Hasn't it always?